There's no take two. There's no just a little more purple. Warts and all. You've downloaded the VO Radio Show. Well, here we are again for another VO Radio Show. My name's Andrew Peters in Melbourne and up in Sydney. Um, Robbo, up in Sydney. The only place to be. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, this week's special guest is uh, a well-known agent in the United States. His name is Wes Stevens. He's one of the principals of Vox USA. He'll be chatting with us later in the show about the role of an agent nice. in the voiceover industry. Everyone needs an agent. They certainly do. Mm. Now, how's your week been? Um, my week's been busy. Been trying to uncompress compression all week. <laughs> Uh, how does that work? Look, I won't mention any names, but I was doing some work for a client who had uh, their voiceover for this particular thing that I was working on voiced independently at a, a home studio, and it was sent with fistfuls of compression and EQ. Shall we just leave it at that? Does that pretty much ring a bell for most people? Uh, yeah, I can hear many bells ringing around the place, but uh, <laughs> why on earth would that person do that? Ah, uh, look, I don't know. I... I haven't heard of this person before. Uh, and probably won't hear of them again. Well, you know, I'll be certainly having words with clients if they go, oh, let's use such and such that we used last time. Might be on. Mm, can we not? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, or at least tell them to stop playing around with things. Which That's kind right. of, Is he trying to cover, or she, I will say it, uh, trying to cover something up? I don't know. Look, it's so hard to tell. I mean, I don't think that recording on a, a very professional rig by the sounds of things, there'd be the original recording wouldn't have been very nice, you know, and, and I think they've just added to the problem by, you know, trying to pile on compression and, and EQ their way out of it when really it would have been easier for me if they had just left it alone. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been uh, seeing a few threads where people have talked about that and uh, basically if it doesn't sound like crap, it's usable. I guess a general rule is if it's taking stuff away to make it sound better, then that's easy. If there are frequencies missing, that's when it becomes hard. Yeah. You know, you can't just magically create a frequency, but if it's there and you need to get rid of some, well, a bit of EQ and that's taken care of. But if there's nothing at, you know, at 8K or there's nothing at 6K or, you know, wherever, then I can't just magically create that without some difficulty. Well, the problem um, is, of course, when you're talking about that sort of language of 8K or 6K or mm. some other frequency, I can guarantee that about 99.99999% of uh, people sitting in their home studios recording voiceovers have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, well, and neither they need to. I mean, if you've got yourself a, a reasonable mic and a reasonable mic chain going into a reasonable piece of software, you don't need to know. Yeah, that, and you shouldn't know. Just leave it alone. Get your that's hands right. off. Leave it yeah. alone. Don't touch it. Just send yep. it to me and uh, and I'll make you sound flabulous. <laughs> exactly, or just flabby. <laughs> or flabby, one or the other. The voice for the voices. This is the VO Radio Show. Yeah, talk about sounding fabulous. I'm actually mm. uh, experimenting with a microphone, which I, I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, English singer Robbie Williams uh, has been touring Australia, and yeah. uh, he was in my town of Melbourne um, doing some demo recordings and needed a tube microphone. And I got a, a text message saying, can I borrow you, a tube microphone of yours? And I said, no, you can't because I use it every day. But leave it with me and I'll see what I can organise for you. Mm. And um, the generous chaps at uh, Rode Microphones in Sydney uh, stuck one straight in, onto a courier and it arrived for Robbie. So he's been recording on a Rode K2. Mm. And uh, the feedback I've got is uh, 
they really, really liked it. And it was like, you know, warm and very present. So um, mm. I thought that was really good anyway. So they were happy with it. And I thought just for the hell of it, I'll use the K2 this week yeah. and uh, see what you think. Well, sounding fat and fabulous. Yeah, or flabulous, but uh, I I actually really, really like it. And when you think about the sort of money you pay for one of these things, um, Mm. it's a hell of a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah. It's interesting though, isn't it? When you think about some of the other people who have recorded amazing albums or or singles or whatever on on much less. Yeah, this is true. Well, we were talking about some before with SM57s and SM58s. Well, here's one one that that amazed me. Did you know that Michael Jackson actually recorded Billie Jean on an SM57? No, I didn't, but now I do know. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Yeah, Yeah. and look, well, I mean, just some others quickly that came to to mind when we were talking about it. Dave Grohl, Peter Gabriel, The Killers, Red Hot Chili Peppers recorded Californication on an SM58 Beta. And most famously, of course, was Bono and U2. Pretty much the whole album of Uktung Baby was recorded on an SM58, mainly because Bono wanted to, um, to be able to sort of sound and perform live. So he actually, instead of wearing headphones, he had a wedge. Uh, and so obviously they gave him an SM58 because of the directionality of that. But he also performed in the studio, from what I understand. So um, Yeah, interesting. And another interesting little trick on that one too was uh, apparently Brian Eno recorded him with Dolby SR onto tape, uh, Dolby SR being noise reduction. But when they played it back, they turned the noise reduction off, which they say tightened up his vocal sound and, um, and gave him more presence. So, um, so there you go. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, the other thing I found when I was going through... Um some of the forums the other the other week on one of my favourite sites actually Gear Sluts give them a plug mm. um, was because uh, I was looking at the K two and then I discovered in one of the discussion points someone mentioned uh, about oh it doesn't really matter or oh, they mentioned Adele and someone said Adele's got such a great voice she could sing down a, a can on a string and it would still still sound yes. great um, and uh, I, I thought it was interesting because someone came back and said uh, don't think so. Uh, microphone and preamp is the key to to that. And in fact, mm. they actually pointed at the microphone and preamp combination to say that that's what made Adele sound the way she did on the, the debut album mm. and also the theme from Skyfall. And yep. the thing that she used was, which because I, I, I remember hearing that first Adele record mm. and, uh, and I'm no engineer, but I thought, my God, that's that's a classic old... U47 or something going on there because mm, it was mm. so vintage and mm. beautiful, you know, beautiful mm. sound. Just yeah. brought her voice out. Anyway, turns out it was another road. It was the road classic um, and it was run through a uh, UA, a preamp. Oh, and go. the guy said, if you're going to use any uh, tube versions of road mics, like the K2 mm. or the classic, always run them through a dark preamp because that's when they come alive. So he you would know, know. Yep, it's interesting. And the funny thing is, I'm doing the same thing because the Sebatron, the Melbourne-based preamp that I use here, yeah, can be a bit of a dark preamp because it is a tube pre. Mm, mm. And um, anyway, I, to me, it sounds great. I love your Sebatron. I um, I, I think it sounds fantastic. I'm yeah, you can't have it though. No. <laughs> well, I was going to ask later after the show, but yeah, you know, you've given yeah. me the answer. I won't bother. <laughs> yes, I do love the Sebatron, and it's amazing how many people don't know about Sebatrons. Yeah, well, I didn't until you told me, so um, add me to the list. Yeah, well, I didn't until I you know, inadvertently walked into a second-hand music store in uh, Carlton in Melbourne, mm. and uh, there was one sitting in a rack, and the guy was trying to sell it, and I'd ne- never heard of 
the yeah. Sevatron, you know. See, two places we should never walk into is Bunnings Warehouse and secondhand music stores. <laughs> well, the trouble is, if it, for anyone outside of <laughs> Australia, Bunnings okay. Warehouse is a giant hardware store. My they- garage is filled with boys' toys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I just put weight on when I go to Bunnings because you always have the sausage in bread oh, on the way in. You can't, but you can't walk past it. Come on, I was there with the kids on the weekend and you're walking into Bunnings and all you can smell is onions and sausage cooking. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's that time of year. And you go, look, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I'll have two, thanks. That's right, exactly. If it's lunchtime, you have three. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> we should uh, get into this week's show, I suppose. We should indeed. Now, um, today's guest, as I mentioned before, is a, a man called Wes Stevens, an interesting character, been in the business for many, many years now, and he's very well known around the country, but particularly in Los Angeles, where he's based with his company, Vox USA. Hmm. Let's uh, hit the silver bird and fly across to LA. You go and do that and I'll go and have my sausage sandwich. Oh, yeah, good on you. In a world. In a world where only the best voice will do. Realtimecasting.com. On the line from LA is Wes Stevens, who is the CEO of Vox Inc. USA. Uh, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well. It has been a while since we've uh, I've I've visited your offices and sat in yeah. your comfy couch. Couple of years. Couple of years. Good couple of years. Now, you're one of the big uh, voiceover agents, in fact, one of the big talent agents uh, in L.A. How did it all begin for you? Um, It's interesting. I started in high school or college doing, um, you know, plays and things like that. And then when I got to university, it's funny, I didn't think there was a business in being an artist. Little did I know. (laughs) And... um, so I went and pursued a degree in finance and marketing. And while I was in school, I produced a lot of theater and dance and had a gallery for several years. And so I was involved in that side of kind of advocating for artists and very much loving being around them, but not necessarily being one. And um, it's just a natural transition. That the the art form, of, my art form would be the art of the deal versus the the performance. So then I basically floated around in my parents' pool for about mm, a month or two months. And my father's a retired Green Beret lieutenant colonel was like, get a job. And um, I had had a couple of different college professors who had come from, one was a management professor and one was from the entertainment industry and was running the drama department. And I didn't quite know, I didn't want to be a banker. And I was like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. They said, uh, I think you're a producer, and, and one of the great ways to learn that business is go become an agent. So I'm living in Columbus, Ohio, and I open up the phone book, and there's, whether it's positive or negative, there was an agency in Columbus, Ohio, and I went and interned for them. Uh, and on the first day of the internship, they said, how would you like to start our voiceover department? And I said, well, what's that? And they explained it. And I'm like, no, that doesn't sound very glamorous. <laughs> and they said, uh, well, do you want to get paid? And uh, I'm like, yeah. And then the rest is history, 21 years later. Well, wow. it's interesting because I did see you, you have a degree in finance and marketing, which is probably uh, the perfect degree to have in the business you're in. Depending on what role you take on within an agency, those are both components of, of the agent's role for sure. A good agent is someone that not only fights for the money, you know, and effectively markets their clients, but also has the ability to figure out how to communicate the worth and 
figures out how to deal with the buyer in such a fashion that both parties walk away from the deal feeling like they got a deal, but that the client wasn't taken advantage of. The client, the, their, their value was maximized financially and otherwise. That's to me is communication as much as it is the street business. Yeah, so what does your day usually entail? My day is a bit different, you know, now 21 years into this and having, you know, run this company for 13 years, you know, and the company keeps growing. My role is increasingly more business development and growth of the company and looking at how I oversee a variety of different departments. You know, we have an animation department, we have commercials department, we have promos and trailers, we have... um, motion capture, we've got a director that we're developing, you know, an animation director that we're developing and we represent some other directors, you know, and then we have an entire area of the company that represents celebrities, not just for voiceover, but also for endorsements. And that area has a growing social media presence in terms of doing social media deals. So more and more of my day is involved with meeting with the respective heads of those departments and agents making sure that I create an environment for the agency where people fired up about the clientele and have the necessary tools available to, you know, effectively represent the talent. And then also looking at where can we continue to diversify our revenue streams? You know, what markets are we not fully capitalized in that we could be in? There was a time when my day was spent you know, I'd come in and I'd look at what was going on in the breakdowns, what was going on in the marketplace, what phone calls or emails had come in, returning those, making sure clients were confirmed for their appointments and whatnot. And then, you know, the majority of the day was spent either responding to casting requests, doing outreach to try to cultivate new relationships in advertising or in, you know, casting and producing, you know, so that we would make sure we were in the loop on those opportunities or negotiating deals or going after money that for some reason or another had not come in, you know, in a timely fashion. And it was time to put some pressure on that. How have you seen things change since, you know, you opened Vox 13 years ago? How, how do you, has the industry changed, do you think? Um, a couple of things. One, the volume of opportunities is exponentially larger just based on the fact that there's so many different media outlets. You know, you've so many different things requiring performance. And now I think in the digital space with this huge proliferation of, of media outlets, everything requires its own form of personalization, its own form of um, persona. And one of the ways to put a persona on things is to put a voice on them. There's been a, you know, a dramatic decentralization of how opportunities are controlled. I think for some people, they look at that as a plus in that you know, there's places you can get into the market much more easily through various, you know, online clearing houses and stuff for talent. So in some of those circles, the agent is often maligned, you know, or like, oh, you don't need the agent, you know, circumvented. And that's where I see a problem in that I see the deals made in those environments, the talent are not paid what they're worth. They consistently work on terms that are highly exploitive they sell the rights to their performance in perpetuity. You know, an individual recording can be, if depending on what's in it, can be repurposed many, many, many different ways. 
So they just don't have the protection of an effective deal maker. They don't have the protection of a union. They don't have a protection of so many of the elements of expertise that I think come from effective representation. So I've seen that go on, you know, and I've seen a dramatic expansion of the geographical range, you know, from which great talent can come. I mean, there's no reason why somebody couldn't live on an island somewhere, you know, and be a top-notch voiceover artist as long as they had the right equipment. It's a dramatic increase in opportunity, a dramatic increase in the number of people in the market. That doesn't mean that the number of qualified people increased, it just meant the number of people increased. Expansion, I think just dramatic, dramatic, exponential expansion of everything. The VO Radio Show is produced in the studios of Voodoo Sound. Radio. TV. Find it all at voodoo-sounds.com. It's funny because some quarters actually say the opposite. They're concerned that the uh, industry is drying up. That's dramatic expansion of everything, but I was about to say, but there's an interesting, you know, running exactly opposite to that is a pretty dramatic decline in pay and a decline in the size and scope of the deal. So, I mean, a lot of things are one-offs. A lot of things have very short terms to them. Um, we don't see the big national network campaigns as often. So, yeah, I think it's getting harder and harder for the individual artists to make a career out of this. There are still plenty of people making great careers out of it, but I think the the lower barrier of entry into the marketplace is also, you know, it's 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 just economics. It's an increase in supply is going to lower the demand and lower the price. But at the end of the day, there's the, because technology and everything going online made the whole community of voice particularly explode into like thousands and thousands of new players. But I think many of the clients, the producers have been burned and it looks like it's imploding and going back to somewhere where it should be. Do you see that? I don't necessarily see that adjustment yet. I, I like I like the I like the tune of that. I mean, I would love to see things return to a more professional um, and controlled marketplace. But you know, as a guy who sits in the seat I sit in, you know, and benefits from that control, of course, I say that. But um, I, I do not see that trend yet. But I, I'm curious to watch. Yeah, we have a similar thing here with what they call voice farms and uh, mainly used by uh, radio networks. But they are an, they are a major problem and I see it actually worse in America. Like everybody's on, on, a, on a website, you know, auditioning for everything and getting nothing. Someone's getting it, but they're, well, I mean, you mean getting nothing in terms of the terms when the deal's finally done. Yeah, that part's true. Where do you see the business going? It's interesting. I mean, I see... Gaming and animation continuing to explode. I think gaming is going to rival film and television eventually. Um, the interactive experience is what the consumer will crave, especially once every consumer can get it easily. And as the, you know, the virtual reality devices that I've experienced are pretty extraordinary. So I think that's a huge growth market. It's tricky. I don't, Terrestrial television as we know it, uh, so many people in the U.S. talk about cutting the cord. You know, we're not quite there yet. I don't think we're a decade out from most people having cut the cord. And then we move to an on-demand model. In the on-demand model, I still think there's room for, I don't know if there's room for a promo per se, traditional broadcast promo, but there's definitely room for trailers, which will sound like promos in some cases, and people 
you know, how are you going to pick which shows you want to watch? You're still going to need to be advertised in some way, shape or fashion, but that advertising will go, will be social driven and based on the social fingerprint we leave everywhere, will be targeted for certain kinds of advertising for certain content. Um, and so there'll be a promo and a trailer or some kind of ad for that. I think, I think radio will still exist for sure. Some people will opt out of commercials. Some people will get them. So there'll still be a market there. I think the TV commercial will again become much more of an on-demand um, scenario attached to content that you've purchased or will pop up on the side of your screen, you know, as part of your you know, Facebook experience or whatever the other platforms are. I mean, none of that's going to go away. And I think we'll see more and more video in those spaces. And then once you see more video in those spaces, you'll see more voiceover in those spaces. Um, narration, I think, will continue to exist, if not grow, because I think long-form content is deeply desired these days as an, at an educational level, and I think voiceover plays a huge role in that. So I think the market, I think the market is good. I think what will be interesting is I think, sure, there's some room in that description I just said I gave for really authentic, almost kind of amateurish. VO as a, you know, as kind of a statement of authenticity, kind of like what we see going on on YouTube and whatnot in terms of video. But on the other end of the spectrum, the consumer gets more sophisticated as time goes by and requires a higher degree of professionalism and will suffer less and less, you know, just kind of like things being slapped together. So I think even in this market of, of quote unquote authenticity, I think the level of quality that will be demanded within authenticity will not be amateur hour. It will be like, I want to find a great artist because I need to make my piece of content stand out over. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of noise. So how are you going to cut through that noise? You're going to cut through that noise by producing the best, the, the most relevant, interesting and, and ultimately authentic option, but it's going to, there'll have to be a level of professionalism involved in it too. But I think the market, I think the market looks good. You know, I think we're in a time of change and, but I think the number of opportunities are great out there. And I think, but I think anyone who's not looking to how social and technology and the consumer habits of the millennial in, as a particular kind of case study, they're the great ones to study because they're the ones I believe that will drive how the rest of us consume. So where, where do you see the growth areas? Is it going to be like animation voices? Is it going to be those five second spots on YouTube? Yeah, it's going to be online video and it's, you know, it, the commercials are just going to move online. You'll see short and long form. There's just more variety that can be done there. There's going to be less of that control of a network dictating, you know, this is if we can maintain net, net neutrality and things of this nature. But I mean, you're going to see you're going to see a more diverse and creative range of where advertising and marketing exists and what those vehicles look like, because that's what's going to be required in order to penetrate the white noise. And then gaming. I think gaming is going to be huge. And I think the other market that there's an opportunity in is the um, uh, IVR market where, you know, I represent the voice of Siri. You know, and when Susan did that recording, which took, you know, like a month and a half to do recording every single day, maybe taking two months, I can't remember, I should have that number right, but it took a long time. Yeah. She had no idea who she was recording for or what she was recording. It was, you know, it was a secret project. 
you know, it was another IVR. She's also the voice of a couple of different airlines and different airports and whatnot. They're going to synthesize voices and whatnot, but there's still going to be a quality to the human spoken voice that I don't know if they can roboticize that and capture it. Um, the, the voice, you know, even if it's disembodied, we want it to come out of a machine. You're, there's going to be an opportunity for voices there. You know, that's a pretty specialized type of voiceover. The voice for the voices. This is the VO Radio Show. We're talking about different platforms in different areas, the home studio and how you see that affecting or has affected the industry. Yeah, I think the home studio is terrific. I think the home studio, I mean, you know, it's a golden prison. They're very much tied to their studio, you know, recording all day long. But the volume of activity that that kind of individual handles and the rapidity of you know, the, the speed, the, the demands of like promos and trailers and some of like, or if you were a, you know, voice of a network news channel or anything of that nature, you, you know, the nice thing is technology now, you're pretty much on call and stuff's coming in at any hour of the day. You can create an amazing income. Your lifestyle is pretty much tied to your booth and you have to travel with it too if you really want to have those careers. There's still a lot of stuff that goes on in, in traditional studios because things want to be directed a certain way or they want a certain ambient sound, like animation is not done from home, gaming is not done from home. Motion capture is not going to be done from home anytime soon because you need to have all of the, I don't, I don't know if it will ever be done from home. I, you know, I think the home studio, in terms of the pursuing of the job, the audition, let's face it, that's an expensive and time-consuming speculative process. The less running around and the more convenient and the more streamlined we can make the speculative process of auditioning, the better. If you can do... 10 auditions, you know, in an hour from home, you know, versus having to drive around town for an entire day during those. I mean, you know, do the math. It's it's makes way more sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, the home studio has in some people's cases, it's helped because they have an amazing point of view and they're very self-directable. In other people's cases, they don't have a strong point of view. They don't have a good ear. They can't really direct themselves. That individual is going to suffer. Some people are terrible engineers. Some people don't under, some people, we get auditions some days and we're like, really, you can't hear your mic is too hot. You can't hear that you sound like you're in a tunnel. And I don't know if they don't care or they don't really can't hear it, but certainly there's a level of quality control that becomes an, you know, becomes a personalized issue at that, at that point. And then the last thing to say on them, that's your wellspring of how the voice farms exist i mean you know if you didn't have home studios those voice farms wouldn't exist yeah it's interesting though how you know as a talent now you have to also be an audio engineer and a producer do certain things if you're doing audio books that's a full-time that's a that's a that's a big gig and you really do i think the average voiceover artist does not need to be a full-time engineer or producer they just need to have a good ear and be able to direct themselves and have a objective ability to listen to their read. Yeah, anybody who's going to run their own studio and be doing ISDM work or be cutting spots, yeah, they're going to have to be skilled. How do you talk to any of your clients who you know are recording bad auditions? How do you handle that? We call them and tell them you're recording really bad auditions, you know, and we just, we're just blunt about it. We just say, 
then we get specific we're like your mic is too hot or there's something going on you need you know, we we try to call with an adjustment um you try to walk them through things we have a a terrific um consultant that we work with that you know if we can't make the adjustments over the phone we recommend that they bring this consultant in and the guy will go out and look at their equipment. Sometimes if their equipment's outdated, they need a new mic. You know, a lot of people still recording on snowballs and it's like, come on, you know, we're, 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 that was acceptable in the beginning. Now we've moved beyond that and you've got to have a decent mic and you got to have, you have to have decent equipment. Um, if you expect to compete in a market that's disembodied voices, it's like, why wouldn't you want to record on the best equipment within reason? I mean, you know, if you can afford it, I guess the best mic possible. You don't have a whisper room in your office, do you? Yeah, we do. Oh, okay. So people can come in and use that if they need to. Yeah. Sometimes clients want to be like, if we're in, uh, if we're in an advanced round on a particular audition, like the person's getting a callback. They can come in or yeah, people can come in for any reason. We have a booth for a reason. The celebrity clients all come in. Most of them don't have home studios. The scale clients come in if they want direction because I have a full-time engineer and director on staff who's been with me for 13, 14 years. So he's terrific. And, um, you know, that's available to them because we want to, we want to get the best possible read and we want to get the job. Um, certainly, like I said, if we get into an advanced round on a particular project, then we normally insist they come in so that we can fine tune the read and again try to get the try to get the gig. What's the next level of working remotely? Is it going to be the agent working remotely? You know, someone asked, someone said that to me recently, um, and I thought about it. It's an interesting idea. I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to say no, but it's not impossible. There's something. I don't know. And things keep changing. Technology keeps changing. It right now. I can tell you. You know. Even as a CEO of the company, I come to my office for, you know, like eight, eight hours a day, if not more. And, you know, part of it's my rapport with my staff. And there's a, there's something, there's a spontaneity in communication and interaction that will be lost if you go off-site completely. Maybe the loss of that is replaced by some other. That's a great question. Not yet. It's not going to happen yet. It would be a competitive disadvantage at the moment because everybody, all of my competitors would be like, did you hear what they did? They, you know, they don't even come to the office anymore and everybody would use that again. <laughs> yes, they probably would. Yeah, sadly, agents operate partially out of competitive fear at all times. So, you know, it's just a fact of life that your competitors are always looking for a chink in your armor to exploit. But also that sort of interaction with other people, which leads to something you know, more, something creative. Absolutely. Like I, I think, and just as a, as a CEO managing multiple, you know, multiple teams and, and areas of interest, it would, I don't know, I don't, but I don't want to shoot down. It would require a different level of organization. Yeah. The future's, the future's bright and interesting and I'd love to be working from someplace with a, a nice breeze and outdoors. It would be nice on a pool. Yeah. Well, the pools, that was a given, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. And, and a, yeah, and a bar, of, of course. course. Well stopped. Oh, uh, no bar for me anymore. But yeah, there was a time that would have been nice. No uh, work could get done if there was a bar. Oh, okay. Fair enough. In a world. In a world where only the best voice will do. Realtimecasting.com. Now, back to, to voices, there's, a, you know, there's a voice and there's a voice. What do you look for? You know, I think there's a vocal quality that's really interesting and wonderful, but more often than not, what makes 
uh, a great artist, a great, you know, the, 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 the instrument is important, but it's the point of view, the delivery, the style, the signature. You know, you've got artists from Don LaFontaine to Eddie Deason, Lorenzo music. I mean, you know, these were some of the most iconic voices in the history of voiceover. James Earl Jones, I mean, you know, it, it, you know, but you could put Lorenzo and Eddie at one end of the spectrum as these kind of nerdy, interesting, offbeat voices and, and that were doing huge campaigns and you know, the other spectrum, you put these mega voices. They all fit, but what was the thing, what is the thing that's unique about those four names? Point of view, point of view, point of view. Like when I say James Earl Jones, it's not just the vocal quality. You can immediately think of an iconic type of read that whether it's CNN or Darth Vader, it shows up. If I say Lorenzo Music, you can think of Carlton the Doorman. You can think of Garfield the Cat. Iconic, instant read. You can think of what it sounds like. More than anything, it's a signature. More than anything, it's a market relevance. And what makes somebody wealthy is you've got a sound no one else has got. You've got a read that no one else has got. And people got to come to you to get it. It's supply and demand. So if you sound like everybody else and you mimic everybody else, there's a large supply of you and there's a low demand and your price is, is crappy. Yeah. Linda Hunt, completely unique, you know, and she could command a really significant price tag. You know, the one exception to that rule is probably the animation voices, but the animation voice, it's like, can you take a, can you play children and age them in increments of a half year from the age of infancy up to like seven or eight? Do you have that skill set? Or can you play, I've seen my client, Joe Lasky, who used to do a lot of the Warner Brothers characters. I've seen him do a live stage performance and have an argument between Bugs Bunny and Daffy you know, on stage live, overlapping the voices. I don't even know how one does that. How do you make two voices come out of your mouth at once? So in those, in those in individuals, it's going to be a skill set of just incredible inventiveness, range, being able to shade a Sydney Green Street with a, you know, with a Swedish accent. You know, it's like, who, who would even think of that? So it's creativity. But again, what's creativity? Creativity is a point of view. So I think point of view is at the center of everything that's good about voiceover is take a point of view and run with it. Have artistic integrity. Look at what are the parameters that are asked for by the casting director or the buyer and then put your spin on it and don't worry about it. Like you get the gig, you got the gig. If you didn't, your gig is auditioning. Let's face it. What are you spending most of your time doing? Auditioning. When you get the jobs and they pay you for it, that's gravy. But if you make getting jobs your job, you're going to be a very miserable voiceover artist. If you make doing amazing auditions your job and make it your passion, probably end up a pretty wealthy voiceover artist, I think. I think some of the keys to being great voiceover artists, inte really intelligent people, people who, like I said, they have a basic, basic instrument, great improv backgrounds. I like actors, you know, um, I think having a real acting background is huge. Musicians often do well in this market. There's so many factors. It's interesting here. There was a, a period of time where just about every ad had someone that sounded like they were 25 
to the point where they were selling products to 45-year-olds with a 25-year-old reading the script. Yeah, that often has to do with like who's writing the scripts and who is running the, you know, who are the hotshots at the ad agency. And, and often the spots reflect that peer group. The agencies are still very young, but I think we went through a window where they're really young. And I think now things are diversifying again. But What seems to be the hot voice at the moment? You know, I don't, I don't know if I have a answer to that because I think it's so, so diverse. I mean, it, you know, it's the everyman. It's the an intelligent but authentic read, not a voice of God. It's very real but it's got a certain polish to it. It's got a certain like, hey, I curate great things in the world kind of sound to it. Um, you know, it's your friend, but it's that friend you would go to to figure out what the really good restaurant to go to tonight would be. Yeah. I remember Nicole Kidman for years had a fake American accent and every talk show she went on, she sounded like she was an American. Now she's reverted back to being an Australian and that's accepted. Yeah, I think we're global. I think the barriers between our countries are still there, but the world is changing really rapidly. Social is bringing us together. I don't think we are as American-centric as we once were. If there was a campaign in America which had an English or an Australian voice, do you think it would work? Oh, yeah. Like, I listened. I love the... The Jaguar spots are great. I don't know. We're having our own issues here domestically with backlash. You've got, you know, a, you've got a, a conservative movement for nationalism, which is so ridiculous to me, given the fact that the the only the only folks the only folks that are original Americans are Native Americans. They have their own native tongues, which is not is not English. So everybody here is an, is in essence an immigrant. I mean, everybody. There's not a single. There's not a single person in this country outside the Native Americans that's not an immigrant. Yeah. Um, I see what goes on in Los Angeles, like as a major city, and it, it becomes more and more diverse. You stand in line at Whole Foods, and you hear such a, a variety of languages, and it excites me. And I'm, I, you know, I just I want variety. I want I want I want to experience all of these different types of people and things. Australia and America are very similar. We also have, you know, our Aboriginal native people and um, we still claim, almost a lot of people, white Australians claim that that they are Australia and, and not the Aboriginals, which is weird. It's, it's sad. It's tragedy in the form. It's comedy in the form of tragedy. But. Yeah. I mean, we had this policy here of turning the boats back. Aye. We won't get political. No, we won't, because that could go on for hours. <laughs> we certainly get a lot of feedback, though, I'd tell you that. About the people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you no. want to get engagement, go for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, you've recently um, signed Nick Tate, is that correct? Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. We interviewed him on, on the podcast, and he was talking about the fact that he portrayed an American as a, a trailer voice, but being an Australian, he would turn up for a session. And talk as he would normally talk and a couple of the clients completely and utterly freaked out <laughs> oh yeah that's it's interesting we've had we had a client recently book um something kind of like it had a street quality to it showed up casting director flipped out we had to call him and be like would you please let him like let him read it and they were like oh my god 
I mean, it's a, like it's it's bizarre to me. It's like what well, you got. It's voiceover. What did you expect? Like like these these people are are masters at manipulating their voice. You know, and you can't go. You can't cast the stuff based off a of look. Yeah. Where do you see the online industry, uh, voiceover industry, going? We are inundated these days with information. We are bombarded all day long, like literally twenty four hours a day with stimulation and when it comes time for us to make a decision whether it's about a flight chair where we're going to eat tonight you name it we are starting to rely upon a certain amount of curation whether that be by an individual that is deeply trusted or whether that's by an algorithm or whether that's by crowdsourcing because we we just it, there's no we, there's no way to weed through the variety of options. So I think the same issue exists in the voiceover marketplace, which is too many options, too much to listen to. How do I get through this? I need somebody with some level of expertise to cut my workload for me and curate. And I think curation is going to be at the center of most solutions. I mean, even if you look at like Uber, why does Uber work? Uber works partially because the both the passenger and the driver get curated. And if you're a sucky driver, you get less stars, you eventually get kicked out of the network. If you're a really terrible passenger who keeps harassing drivers, you get kicked out of the network. Curation exists, is going to begin to exist everywhere. I think the survival of that marketplace, uh, you know, of, of the online casting options. If there is no effective curation, if it's just a clearinghouse, then they'll become superfluous. Like it's the, 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 the professional won't have time for it. They would rather turn to an individual who will promise them a small selection that, that may go out and throw a wide net, but then will refine that wide net to you know, best in class solutions. Um, and social listening is the other part of the, the solution in that, you know, we, we need to listen to the buyer and hear what it is they want and deliver what they want and not just, you know, throw everything up against the wall and see what sticks. Do you think uh, agents will become more aut- automated in some areas? Um, Sure. Like on some levels, it doesn't. It just makes sense to use technology where you can. But I think we're finding that when we bring some level of human touch to the equation, we experience better results. So automation will exist in parts of the process that have redundancies and where we can dramatically cut costs by reducing those redundancies of effort. But where can we reduce redundancies, increase efficiencies? And then on the other end of that, where can we make sure we maintain human touch? When I first started, there was no email. We would have to make pieces of copy for every client coming in. You had to record each client individually. I mean, it was a very linear process. And now it's a nonlinear process. And you can disseminate one piece of copy to 25 people in you know, a keystroke. Unfortunately, people can disseminate one piece of copy to 20,000 people. In a keystroke. Yeah, boom. And that's one of the biggest issues. Curation has to exist. I mean, you know, there. that's where that producer, if that's what's done, 
will call up somebody that they trust and say, just tell me who I need to listen to. Like, just pick pick the top five for me. I think the world, it is a changing, but hopefully it won't it will actually revert back, as I mentioned before, and start coming back to where it should be. But uh, we'll have to watch this space and see what actually happens. Yeah, it won't come back to where, it won't come back to anything. It will move to something different. But I think where it's moving to is is exciting and positive and I think there's a there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for growth yeah fingers crossed yeah Let's see what happens thank you Wes thank you for your time and um, hopefully you catch up very soon I'd love that the VO radio show is produced in the studios of Voodoo Sound radio TV sound design find it all at voodoo-sound.com well, there you go. That's Wes Stevens of Vox USA. I wish he was my agent. <laughs> At the beginning of the show, we were talking about microphones and, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yep. Next week's guest is a man called Chris Dickey. Uh, a lot of people probably wouldn't have heard of Chris Dickey unless you're in the music business and particularly mm. in the music business either in Australia or the UK. Uh, Chris's background, he was the resident recording engineer at Rack Studios in London, working with Annie Lennox. He's worked with Ricky Lee Jones. Um, yeah, like I said, you name it, he's done Name it. dropper. A name dropper. Yeah. But uh, interesting guy. Him. Lives in Australia these days, but um, some great stories. Everybody lives in Australia these days. Well, you know, we must live in the, we must be the lucky country, right? Oh, I think we still are, quite that's frankly. Right. But don't Everybody. spread the word too much. No, the door's open, but only just people. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of lucky country, I might go enjoy it. I would indeed. Go and fire up the barbie and chuck another shrimp on, mate. Beautiful. Talk to you next week then. (laughs) See you, mate. See you. The VO Radio Show is produced in the studios of Voodoo Sound. To polish your next audio production, check us out at voodoo-sound.com. Find professional voices simply all in one place. Realtimecasting.com, including me.